From Transport Topics in Washington, D.C., this is Road Signs. Here's your host, Dan Ronan. On November the 6th, more than 113 Americans participated in the 2018 midterm elections. In terms of raw numbers, this was the highest level of voter involvement in a non-presidential election in our nation's history. And percentage-wise, it was the biggest turnout since the 1966 midterm elections. Tens of thousands of people stood in long lines to vote and be active in our democratic form of government. And whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, participating and being active in our nation's government is important. In this edition of Road Signs, we're going to talk about the 2018 midterms and what they mean to the trucking industry, specifically infrastructure. It's no secret our nation's highways, roads, and bridges need billions of dollars in repairs. The 48,000-mile national interstate system that was started in the 1950s by President Dwight Eisenhower is congested and needs updating. Secondary roads often have huge potholes. And a recent report by the American Road and Bridge Builders Association found more than 54,000 bridges, or nearly 9%, are structurally deficient. Placed end-to-end, the faulty bridges would stretch 1,216 miles. That's almost the distance from New York City to Miami, Florida. In the aftermath of the Democrats taking control of the House of Representatives, some in Washington believe this may be the time when President Trump, who calls himself a dealmaker, is able to sit down with his opponents in Congress and negotiate a grand deal to begin the long process to repair our crumbling infrastructure. We have two guests today to talk about this. Eugene Malero, the Congressional Correspondent for Transport Topics, and his Capitol Hill colleague, Kelly Meidrick from CQ Roll Call. More than a week out after the election, uh, what's been the biggest thing that you that you will see going into the next Congress in terms of uh, policy issues that will that will impact infrastructure and trucking? Let's start there. So I think that this is one of the major opportunities for a democratically controlled House and a Republican controlled Senate to maybe agree on something. We saw this right out of the gate the day after the election. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. Um, came out in front of reporters and said, look, I think infrastructure is something that we can both work on together, Um, that he had talked with um, currently House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. Again, she's uh, of California. She's the shoe-in for Speaker of the House um, in the next Congress, although that's still to be determined. But, you know, they both talked about that the day after the election. President Donald Trump himself pushed for a trillion dollar infrastructure package during the campaign, but efforts on that kind of fell apart um, as Republicans were really focused on a tax overhaul, right, and and getting just the basics of spending legislation, raising the debt ceiling when President Trump um, was first in office in that first cycle. So now that we're entering, you know, a post-midterm situation, Republicans in the Senate want to be able to still claim a win. They don't want total dysfunction. And that's a really high risk in a divided Congress. Um, because I think it's important for listeners to remember that in the House, once Democrats take over control, they also control every way and and every, you know, um, possible permutation of how legislation comes to the floor. And so, um, you know, Republicans are going to lose a lot of leverage in that case. And so that's why right now in the lame duck session, there's a big push from appropriators on both sides, but particularly Republican appropriators who are trying to get spending legislation done 
there's a big push for them to finish that kind of uh, that work before Democrats take over in the House. Um, so again, we're going to see something where Democrats are going to be the ones originating this legislation in the House, bringing it over to the Senate. But if they really want to strike a deal on something, trans- transportation seems like it could be one of the one of the most important ones, one of the easiest. Well, especially because of the fact that it's it's no secret our infrastructure is a mess. Uh, we have highways that have potholes as big as wheelbarrows. Uh, we have uh, bridges that are deteriorating. Uh, rail systems that need upgrades. Now, the private sector has done a tremendous amount of work uh, on their own, but uh, government was the the entity that built a lot of this, and many people believe that government should be the entity that uh, repairs it. There's a lot of work to be done. And with this broad kind of argument about a public or private investment, you know, there's there's a lot you can say about that, but it really boils down to how local governments fund their transportation projects. And that is through a combination of local and federal transportation dollars. And so to if they're going to enact a strong infrastructure investment package, it's really hard for me to see them doing that in any way that's dramatically different than the way that they've done before, which is by topping up the highway trust fund, um, the fund that pays for road and bridge repairs, reimburse states and local governments across the country for filling potholes, building bridges, freeway overpasses, you name it. Um, you know, it, it's really hard for me to see them doing that without utilizing that funding mechanism just because every local government in the country is basing how they fund these projects off of that. And so if that's the case, we're in a situation where there's going to be a big search for finding the money. And that's why Democrats in the House have been, you know, pretty critical even before now about how the Trump administration wants to sell a trillion dollar infrastructure package. They see um, toll bridges and other types of maybe concessionary agreements with the private sector, this whole P3 situation. They see that as kind of a little bit of a cop out if they're going to call that actual federal investment in transportation. And they have a point because... There's a difference between paying for asphalt to fill a pothole and, you know, setting up a system where a private company can run a bridge. Um, And so and it'll have a very direct effect on how drivers see what their federal government is doing. And so if they want to, you know, if they want to jumpstart filling up all the roads, expanding lanes, you know, creating traffic synchronization, expanding capacity, all of this stuff they're probably going to have to go the traditional route. And that means they're going to have to find a big pot of money somewhere um, to pay for all of that. And that's going to be a big fight. And the private sector is not necessarily in a position where they can uh, come up with 80% of the the money that's needed. Uh, It'll work in some places, uh, urban areas, uh, uh, throughways, toll bridges and the like. But uh, in, would that work in, uh, Fargo, North Dakota, or uh, or someplace in uh, rural Nebraska. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it would because a lot of that just has to do with the bare bones of making sure that the asphalt gets repaired after you know it snows and the ice goes into the cracks and the roads break and then they have to fix it. I mean, this is something that is a perennial problem, and so it's not something that the private sector is going to be able to monetize and turn into a profit. This is really like a public 
um, a, a lot of people see this as a public obligation. And I think it's interesting to note that, you know, some of these Democrats who rode this this wave of of uh, of, you know, uh, progressivism into the House as a kind of backlash to President Donald Trump. I mean, one of the most the hottest campaign slogans was let's fix the damn roads. Right. Um, Congresswoman from Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I think that both sides really want to see some improvement in that arena. Um, but the real question is how financially Congress is going to decide to pay for that. Because um, if you if you go back to the last highway bill negotiation again, I mean, it was just the deepest, you, you know, you know, dive into a couch cushion you could possibly imagine to pay for that, to pay for that five year plan. And, and, and they're going to run out of money in a couple of years. And so, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a big financial fight, but there also is the upside of if, if they decide to just boost um, transportation funds from the treasury, that would create a lot of economic growth across the country, create a lot of jobs. Um, and so I think that, you know, it, it, it's really up to whether Congress decides that they want to do that. Now, they always run into the problem of whether this gets labeled as a stimulus package. And then you have conservative, more conservative Republicans who will cry foul and say, like, hey, this isn't the role of the federal government. We we shouldn't just be pouring money, um, you know, into into transportation. This the, Why do we need a stimulus right now? The economy is doing great. Um, that's true, but you know, if you look at the state of the transportation system y- across the board, I don't, it doesn't matter left or right. Everyone agrees that this is having an effect on productivity. This is having an effect on um, companies' bottom line. This is having an effect on the trucking industry being able to, you know, make orders go in on time, shipments on time, reduce spoilage. I mean, there's all kinds of elements that an improved transportation network could could provide, you know, a, a capacity for growth in the private sector, too. So that'll be another issue is like, do we call this a stimulus? Can we get away from that? I think that will be a, a political consideration that lawmakers will have to kind of like either tiptoe around or decide, agree on a bipartisan basis on how they're going to message that if they really want it to be successful. When a Transport Topics reporter sits down to write a breaking news story, he or she knows that every word, every quote, every image matters. Across TT's more than 80-year history, some of the best journalists in transportation have dedicated themselves to getting the stories that this very large, very fast-moving industry needs to read, with new media channels and programs that allow us to extend our reach and tell even more great trucking stories. Web, print, video, podcasting, all part of our repertoire, all part of our craft. Another question I have then is that uh, there are a lot of issues that are specific to the trucking industry, hours of service, uh, meal and rest break, uh, besides infrastructure. How do you see the changeover in Congress affecting those issues? Because one would say that when it comes to regulatory issues, Republicans generally believe in less regulation and that uh, the marketplace will sort of sort it all out mm-hmm. while you can make the uh, the argument that Democrats believe in a little more regulation. So how do you see on these big items that face the trucking industry, how do these how are these going to play out in, in Congress? Yeah, I think that truckers have seen big changes in the Federal Motor Carrier Administration under a Republican Congress. 
Um, I'm just thinking about the safety management system, for example. That was a huge deal that they kind of um, changed the way that they're using that data. And that that was really a product of the executive changeover. Congress didn't really have a lot of a role in that. But since, you know, Congress was under Republican control, you weren't seeing a lot of, uh, you know, SMS, safety management system related amendments getting adopted on spending bills or anything like that. But the bare bones of it is this, is that in the House, there have been these Republican champions who push um, a lot of these trucking related um, provisions. And and there's some people in the House who do it as well. We saw that with the truck length debate in the past couple appropriation cycles. ELDs. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the double 28, the twin pup uh, uh, issue and how there was... Uh, and, and yeah, electronic logging devices is another one where Susan Collins is kind of getting involved in that. So, so there's still kind of some potential, I think, on the House side for um, some of those policy provisions to make it into bills just because of the the nature of the Appropriations Committee on that side, funding transportation. They tend to kind of do things on a more bipartisan basis. There's more rural representation. So sometimes some of those truckway provisions and those types of things have, have more advocates on that side. Um, but on the House side, I think you will see a pretty significant change because if you just look at the transportation um, HUD bill for fiscal 2019, the current spending bill that they're trying to resolve, um, the House the House legislation is markedly different when it comes to trucking-related provisions compared to the Senate. For example, um, we have this rest requirement exemption um, that's being pushed, uh, this hours of service kind of issue. Um, we also have, um, you know, there's a difference between the House and Senate on allowing presidential appointees at DOT from being capped or not. That's something that's currently a difference between the House and Senate bill that, you know, could could kind of change the makeup of the Department of Transportation. And then, I, I mean, there's, I think what we're going to see, there's limitations, other types of transportation limitations that House Republicans have long pushed. And often there's been like some situations where they get that language into the base text of a spending bill, which is probably the strongest position to start if you're trying to get a policy provision inserted because an amendment can fall, you know, but if it's in the base text, it becomes harder when the two chambers negotiate the legislation for that to be taken out. Um, so I think that in the House, we always see these these trucking provisions, there's kind of a lower threshold for them getting into spending legislation. I think with Democrats taking over the House and taking over the spending committees, I think a lot of those those efforts will probably end up being blocked and that you there might be more concentration on the Senate side um, for some of these some of these provisions. But again, you know, because of the nature of these uh, spending negotiations, we do see some some random weight exemptions for trucks in rural areas pushed by certain members like like John Thune, Senator John Thune of South Dakota. You know, um, there are others who are pushing for this stuff still. So it all comes down to those last minute negotiations now. But I think um, in the public markups of these bills, I don't think you're going to see as much on the House side. Um, like advocating for certain uh, certain provisions favorable to the trucking industry. So I think that the the policy landscape and and how lobbyists are kind of going to start advocating is going to change. And I would imagine that there might be more concentration on the Senate side in terms of lobbying efforts. 
Hello, I'm Dan Ronan, the host of Transport Topics Radio on Sirius XM Channel 146 every Saturday, 1 to 3 p.m., and then again on Sunday between 12 noon and 2 p.m. Eastern Time. I hope you'll join me as every week we bring you the high-quality journalism that you've come to expect at Transport Topics and bring it to you on the radio. For more information about the next program and to get your free 30-day access code, head to ttn.ws forward slash radio one. That's ttn.ws forward slash radio one. Thanks for listening. Eugene, this is your stock and trade. This is what you do following Congress and the like. People ask the question, they say, what does it mean when, you know, will we really see policy changes that are big policy changes when government changes and there are new people as chairman and or chairwoman? Uh, are the changes really that significant that's going to take place here in a little more than a month? Um, going to the next Congress, each each new Congress has about an opportunity to do one major big policy change. So they have to work, you know, synchronize with the White House and both chambers have to talk to each other and they have to come to an agreement on what that policy is going to be. So for the past administrations, this has come directly from the White House. So the president says, I want to work on health care. That was the case with Obama. Um, etc. So with President Trump, the first two years, he really addressed tax policy, health care, health care. Yeah, until that failed. And then he shifted to um, tax policy. Now, um, it appears that President Trump is going to abandon based on the people I'm talking to and just to what I'm hearing from the press conferences, etc. That he's going to abandon immigration and then turn to infrastructure. Um, if you were to do that, infrastructure could uh, go up the list of priorities for both Senator McConnell uh, over in the Senate and soon to be Speaker Pelosi, most likely in the House. Um, and all three players, Trump, McConnell and Pelosi, have agreed that infrastructure is in policy area where they can see eye to eye. However, you know, many people are aware of this, that how you fund infrastructure long term is the big, big debate when it comes to, you know, transportation. Um, so the big policy change, infrastructure is a strong candidate. However, healthcare, the House Democrats really ran on healthcare. So I can see them reinforcing aspects of the ACA, aka Obamacare. Um, McConnell over in the Senate, he has already uh, express an interest in not only tax policy, but also addressing, you know, uh, funds for Medicare and Medicaid. So there's, a, you know, an indication that that could be the route. But if President Trump comes forward, let's say January or in his State of the Union address and says, hey, infrastructure, this is the time. I'm the builder in chief. Remember, I had a plan last year. I'm going to work with Democrats on a new plan. Now you can really set the agenda that it's going to be all about infrastructure, infrastructure week every week. Um, and and they're actually going to have several months to get this done. And the incoming chairman of the House Transportation Committee, Peter DeFazio, was very clear about that, that they'll probably, Congress will probably have through June or maybe July to get an infrastructure bill because the congressional calendar is such 
the modern congressional calendar is such that August is a very dead month for legislating. The fall, people kind of just get ready, wrap up the fiscal year, and then they get ready for the holidays. So there's this, nobody kind of really wants to do anything. And since we're going to be entering a presidential year in 2020, the end of 2019 is when a lot of the uh, presidential aspirants really come forward and make their case to their colleagues while they're still in town uh, as to why they should why they would want their support uh, for the White House. What do you think the most important issues are in transportation specifically that are relating to the trucking logistics, uh, the intermodal industry that we cover? Um, so there are two two from my perspective and based on the people on Capitol Hill that I talked to that and these two they would want to address. The first one would be addressing congestion, uh, trucks get, being stuck in traffic. And a way to do that is by one way is expanding capacity on our bridges, roadways, and tunnels, surface transportation. So that is a priority for the big transportation leaders on Capitol Hill. Um, the other one would be uh, the um, driver shortage. Uh, Everybody in the industry really agrees that there's a need to bring in new talent and more drivers, you know, driving our, our trucks. Um, how they do that still remains to be seen. There's been efforts to bring in young veterans, young drivers. Um, there's another effort to, you know, boost salary, provide incentives. Uh, and then uh, a solution that some in the, some within the industry are pursuing are self-driving trucks. Now, self-driving trucks is something that is not going to occur tomorrow or within the That's next... That's 7, 8, 10, 15 years yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, and the goal of that from not only the business uh, executives, but also the unions, is to ensure that for safety purposes that it, even if you have a fully automated uh, truck, that you nevertheless uh, have a, for lack of a better term, a pilot in the cockpit. A you, live human being. Exactly, that you can have this uh, last person in command and control of the machine in case something were to happen. Um, so driver shortage and uh, congestion. Also, you know, we, we within congestion, you got concerns with truck parking. That's something that USDOT is addressing. Um, and then, but to be honest, this, with the congestion, this all ultimately goes back to infrastructure. So if you, you know, on Capitol Hill, you're a transportation leader and you're looking to advance a big, uh, highway bill, do you focus it primarily on surface transportation and within surface transportation, do you really address the priorities of freight, you know, policies that it would enhance freight connectivity? But this is not a solution that will happen overnight. I mean, even if they were to pass a highway bill tomorrow or the next day, uh, which which won't happen, it still takes months and years to get the drawings, the architectural approval, the environmental impact studies, all those things to do something new. And then there's the work that needs to be done to you know pour uh, millions of tons of asphalt and, and concrete to fix what we have right now that's broken. That's right. And that's why um, proponents of 
you know, this concept called devolution, um, which is shifting the federal priority on infrastructure over to the states. The reason foundation of those guys who all believe in that stuff. Their argument is, hey, the states are already, they can move quickly, quicker on these transportation priorities. They have their finger on the pulse on what the needs are. They have raised their fuel tax uh, to get new money for infrastructure projects. Uh, Let them really move uh, faster to repair these roads and enhance connectivity for their trucks and their people and their cars. Um, At the federal level, you're absolutely right that if you you debate a a highway bill and let's say you finally agree on a highway bill and it's four years, five years, six years, you within those provisions, you'll probably have a provision that will take two years to be fully enacted or fully realized. And this would just be for a pilot project on truck parking. So not even a fix to truck parking. Uh, So this is, you know, we're still... um, uh, USDOT is still working on provisions that were mandated from the MAP 21 highway law, and that's years from 2012. Ago. Yeah, years exactly. ago. Exactly. So when it comes, though, to issues like hours of service and meal and rest break, those are issues that can be handled, though, I would assume, not so much by legislation, but by rulemaking. Is that correct, that these are these can be done a little bit quicker, but we may see some action on that as well. Yeah. So hours of service is a tad easier to address via rulemaking. Um, Now, if you want to talk about uh, a tedious process, if you think legislating is slow, rulemaking could be at times possibly twice as slow. Like watching ice melt. Exactly. Uh, The federal rulemaking process uh, is one that you announce there are so many steps. You announce your intention. Public comments. Exactly. Public comments. Debate the public comments. Have if it's something controversial or that just became controversial, you're Listening really sessions. forced to open it to the public for an actual discussion. Then you have a, a proposed rulemaking based on all the information you've With the 60-day comment period. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that is something that takes years oftentimes. Hours of service, the where we are now with hours of service is something that is the product of many years. This whole, yeah. Exactly. So, and I say it's easier with hours of service because you have an administration uh, that is on record saying that hours of service is an area that merits uh, some tweaking. Uh, when it comes to meal and rest break. Um, well, there's an end run. There's an end run on California that's being taken care of now by with with the ata appealing to the secretary go ahead and explain that real quickly exactly um you have uh american trucking associations petitioning uh us dot uh to um claim and grant the authority that the meal and rest break rules out of california are preemptive by us by federal regulations interstate commerce exactly so federal regulations blanket have authority over California's laws. Exactly. Um, and that's something that uh, ATA is arguing before USDOT. USDOT just finished its public comment on that petition, and they've yet to announce the next steps on that. Uh, however, California, their argument is that 
they have a state law. It was signed by their governor, has been enforced since 2011. It's in the books. And they see it as a state issue that they're not harming interstate commerce. Um, and this is something that USDOT about a decade ago looked into. This is not the first time that you've had a group go to USDOT with a similar petition. And USDOT back then did rule, did opt to allow California's law to stand. So there is already a quasi president here. Um, it remains to be seen what happens forward. Um, there have been many legislative attempts in the past four years uh, to preempt California's meal and rest break uh, rules. However, um, with the shifting congressional leadership, with the Democrats coming in power, some of the players that were very integral in um, championing that meal and rest break. They don't have jobs after January 3rd. That's right. Key among them is Congressman Jeff Denham, Republican from California. Uh, he was, uh, still is, but he's no longer going to be the chairman of the House Railroads, Pipelines, and Hazardous well, he's, Materials He's lost Committee. his job. He's lost Correct. his seat. To, yeah, so he's uh, a, Democrat he, Josh Harder, yeah. So again, to be continued. That's right. You got it. From time to time, an issue commands so much of the industry's attention that it requires a deeper dive, a resource readers can turn to, a Transport Topics special report. In December, we're turning our attention to another big issue, electric trucks. In every case, we're working to provide our readers with information, analysis, and clarity on key issues confronting fleets. One comprehensive resource packed with insights that can give you the edge. I'm Joe Howard executive editor here at Transport Topics, and I invite you to learn more about our special reports and reserve your copy of the next one at ttn.ws slash special. We'd like to thank our two guests who joined us on this edition of Road Signs from Transport Topics, Eugene Malero, the congressional correspondent for Transport Topics, and his Capitol Hill colleague, Kelly Meidrick from CQ Roll Call. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Rogan.